Part two, chapter four of the life of Florence Nightingale, volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The life of Florence Nightingale, volume one by Edward Tyus Cook. The expert's touch continued. Part two. In December 1854, Miss Nightingale was astonished to receive an announcement that a party of 47 more nurses under the care of her friend, Miss Mary Stanley, were on their way to join her. She remonstrated and threatened to resign. You have sacrificed the cause so near my heart, she wrote to Mr. Sidney Herbert, December 15. You have sacrificed me, a, a matter of small importance now. You have sacrificed your own written word to a popular cry. You must feel that I ought to resign, where conditions are imposed upon me which render the object for which I am employed unattainable, and I only remain at my post till I have provided in some measure for these poor wanderers. Mr. Herbert replied, as his biographer states, in terms of courtesy and kindliness, and without any trace of the bitterness which Miss Nightingale's vehemence might have evoked in a smaller-minded man. There is a letter to Mrs. Bracebridge, December 27, in which Mrs. Herbert says, I am heartbroken about the nurses, but I do assure you, if you send them all home without a trial, you will lose some really valuable women. The minister had authorized Miss Nightingale, if on full consideration she thought fit, to return Miss Stanley's party to England at his own private expense. Her good sense soon showed her that such a course would be, as she wrote, a moral impossibility and in the end she made the best she could of what she considered a bad job, to the great advantage, as it was to turn out, of the wounded soldiers, though at a great increase to her own responsibilities and difficulties. Much has been made in some quarters of this episode, and it may be well here to explain Miss Nightingale's position clearly, for the affair throws strong light upon the difficulties of her task. It is essential to know in the first place that Mr. Herbert had distinctly stated that the selection of nurses was to be exclusively in Miss Nightingale's hands. This is implied in his official instructions and was stated with the utmost emphasis in a letter to a correspondent, which he had caused to be inserted in the newspapers of October 24. Already the cry had been raised that more nurses should be sent, and volunteers were clamoring for enlistment. Mr. Herbert thereupon wrote, War Office, October 21, 1854, the duties of a hospital nurse, if they are properly performed, require great skill as well as strength and courage, especially where the cases are surgical cases and the majority of them are from gunshot wounds. Persons who have no experience or skill in such matters would be of no use whatever and in moments of great pressure, such as must of necessity at intervals occur in a military hospital, any person who is not of use is an impediment. 
Many ladies whose generous enthusiasm prompts them to offer their services as nurses are little aware of the hardships they would have to encounter and the horrors they would have to witness which would try the firmest nerves. Were all accepted who offer, I fear we should have not only many inefficient nurses, but many hysterical patients themselves requiring treatment instead of assisting others. No additional nurses will be sent out to Miss Nightingale until she shall have written home from Scutari and reported how far her labors have been successful, and what number and description of persons, if any, she requires in addition. No one can be sent out until we hear from Miss Nightingale that they are required. Miss Nightingale had not written home in that sense at all, but Mr. Herbert had sent the nurses. That was what she meant when she said that he had sacrificed his own written word. Had I had the enormous folly, she wrote to Mr. Herbert, December 15, at the end of eleven days' experience to require more women, would it not seem that you, as a statesman, should have said, wait till you can see your way better? But I made no such request. She was an expert and did not wish to be inundated with amateurs. Moreover, everybody at Scutari knew, as she wrote, the terms of Mr. Herbert's letter to the newspapers, and the medical men knew that she had not asked for any more nurses. Yet here was a new party sent out, and to make the encroachment on her domain the more marked, Miss Stanley had received instructions to, and reported herself to, not the superintendent of the nurses, but other officials. Miss Nightingale felt that her authority had been flouted, her position undermined. But personal considerations were not the cause of her vexation. It was not a case of pique, as some people in England imagined. Mr. Herbert and she were engaged in making a new experiment. It was full of difficulties, and the only chance of success lay in the maintenance of undivided responsibility and clearly established authority. Miss Nightingale could not quietly have accepted the new situation without sacrificing the key of the position. Had she acquiesced, she would have admitted that Mr. Herbert might henceforth send out nurses without consulting her and without placing them expressly under her orders. She would have left herself at the mercy of any well-meaning person in England who thought that this or that might be helpful to her. Her judgment would no longer have been the governing factor, while yet for any confusion or failure that might follow she would be held responsible." Mr. Herbert thought, no doubt, that already the experiment had been a great success, as indeed it was, and he was eager to increase the scale of it. He might not unreasonably think that, as the number of the wounded increased, so should the number of female nurses be increased also. Mr. Osborne's remark, cited above, must have confirmed him in such an opinion, but to Miss Nightingale on the spot the case wore a very different aspect we must remember the severe mental strain of her position the high pressure of work and emotion at which she was living all the higher to one of her intensely sensitive conscientiousness 
the continual failure to her critical mind of attempts to reform cruel abuses the danger of real acknowledged failure always present in such a position the arrival of a fresh batch of nurses unexpected and unsolicited must have seemed to her the break-up of all her plans the destruction of the standard of nursing which she was painfully creating the gravest peril to an experiment still on its trial and ever subject to hostile criticism immediate and practical difficulties were also great there was no accommodation in the hospitals at scutari available for additional female nurses the forty-six wrote mr bracebridge to mr smith december eighteen have fallen on us like a cloud of locusts where to house them feed them place them is difficult how to care for them not to be imagined the principal medical officer flatly refused to have any more and miss nightingale herself felt that she could not manage any more i have toiled my way she wrote december fifteenth into the confidence of the medical men i have by incessant vigilance day and night introduced something like system into the disorderly operations of these women and the plan may be said to have succeeded in some measure as it stands but to have women scampering about the wards of a military hospital all day long which they would do did an increased number relax the discipline and increase their leisure would be as improper as absurd and there was a further objection a considerable number of the second party were roman catholics and miss stanley herself as miss nightingale well knew was on the verge of joining the roman communion how much this factor in the case added to the force of miss nightingale's objections we shall learn in a later chapter mr herbert thought i suppose that the additional nurses would be welcome to her because they came under the escort of a friend but so strongly did miss nightingale feel on the subject that miss stanley's part in the affair rankled the more it was in the house of her friends she felt that she had been wounded their personal relations were further embittered by the case of a nurse whom miss nightingale with the concurrence of the other authorities felt obliged to dismiss but whom miss stanley believed to be ill-used miss nightingale's friendship with mr and mrs herbert was in no way impaired they had confessed themselves in the wrong and so she was deeply touched as she wrote by their kindness and generosity but between her and miss stanley the breach was never healed their later lives took different directions and they did not meet again miss nightingale's resentment was perfectly justified her remonstrances to mr herbert were necessary his well-intentioned action was calculated to undermine her authority and to aggravate her difficulties and in both of these ways to imperil the success of their joint experiment her handling of the crisis which had burst upon her was perhaps in relation to the subordinates unfortunate miss stanley was accompanied by dr meyer a medical man and mr jocelyn percy who had gone out as mrs herbert wrote to mrs bracebridge devoted to miss nightingale saying he would be her footman etc we picked out added mrs herbert plaintively the two men in england who we thought would help flow most and they were turned sad and sore at their cold reception 
Miss Nightingale, acting on advice she received on the spot, asked them to sign notes of their conversation with her. This rankled with them, and Mr. Percy made a grievance of it in England. Mrs. Herbert, in reporting all this to Mrs. Bracebridge, January 7, 1855, made the final reflection, perhaps it is wholesome for us to be reminded that Flo is still a mortal, which we were beginning to doubt. Mortals have to deal with entanglements as best they may on the spur of the moment, and those at a distance hardly made enough allowance for the difficulties with which Miss Nightingale was suddenly confronted for the danger which Mr. Herbert's dispatch of unsolicited reinforcements involved, and therefore for the importance which she attached to having all the conditions defined in black and white. Her practical genius and good sense speedily triumphed, however, over the difficulties of the case. In agreement with the medical authorities, the number of female nurses at Scutari was raised to fifty, and Miss Nightingale weeded out some of her original staff in favor of newcomers. Others of them were sent to the hospitals at Balaclava, and others to those at Kulali. Miss Stanley, whose intention it had been to return to England as soon as she had deposited her party, remained for several months in charge at the latter place, not administering the nursing service altogether according to Miss Nightingale's ideas, but rendering aid to the afflicted of which her brother the dean has left us so charming and sympathetic a memorial. In the end, then, the scope of Miss Nightingale's experiment was considerably enlarged, and the deeper significance of the episode is to be found in the emphasis which it throws upon the novelty and difficulties of Miss Nightingale's enterprise. In these days, nurses, trained and distinctively attired, are so much part of everyday life. Women nurses serving under the Red Cross are so normal a feature of war, and territorial nurses smartly uniformed are so familiar a unit of auxiliary forces that some effort of imagination is required to realize the conditions which existed sixty years ago. We remember that a staff of nearly 800 female nurses was maintained for service in the South African War, and may be tempted to smile at the question between twenty and forty or forty and ninety for the Crimea. But it was Miss Nightingale who showed the way, and the way of the pioneer is rough. No one who reads this volume will suspect her of timidity or think her wanting in self-confidence, yet so conscious was she of the difficulties that in this instance she underrated her power and was anxious to keep the experiment within much narrower limits than it assumed. Her original idea had been to limit the number of female nurses to twenty, but at various dates after Miss Stanley's arrival she sent home for more nurses, and before the war was over she had had control of 125. Part 3 Miss Nightingale's reluctance to assume the superintendence of additional nurses will be the more readily understood when we pass to the multifarious duties which circumstances led her to discharge. Having understood, she wrote to Lord Stratford de Redcliffe, November 7, that Your Excellency has the power of drawing upon government for the uses of the sick and wounded, 
i beg to state that there is at present a great deficiency of linen among the men in the hospitals until the government stores can arrive and be appropriated to them a hundred pairs of sheets and two hundred shirts might be applied to such a temporary purpose and would never be de trop also a few american stoves upon which we might prepare delicate food for the worst cases who require to be fed every two or three hours which is of course impossible for the medical officers and orderlies to attend to many deaths are necessarily the consequence this suggestion to the ambassador made on the third day after miss nightingale's arrival serves to introduce two main directions in which she applied a woman's insight to the condition of things at scutari efficient nursing requires she well knew cleanliness and delicately cooked food she set herself with characteristic energy to supply these necessities she found not a basin nor a towel nor a bit of soap nor a broom and instantly requisitioned three hundred scrubbing brushes the first improvements took place said mr macdonald after miss nightingale's arrival greater cleanliness and greater order i recollect one of the first things she asked me to supply was two hundred hard scrubbers and sacking for washing the floors for which no means existed at that time miss nightingale had foreseen that washing would be one of the first things necessary during the voyage out as the ship was approaching constantinople one of the party went up to her and said earnestly oh miss nightingale when we land don't let there be any red tape delays let us get straight to nursing the poor fellows the strongest will be wanted at the wash tub was the reply until miss nightingale arrived the number of shirts washed during a month was six up to the date of her arrival the purveyor-general had contracted for the washing of the hospital bedding and of the linen of the patients simultaneously however with the arrival of the wounded from inkerman it was found that the contractor had broken down in the latter part of his contract and even with regard to the former part the bedding was washed miss nightingale discovered in cold water she insisted upon hot the more since it was found as the duke of newcastle's commissioners reported that many of the articles sent back from the wash as clean had to be destroyed as being in fact verminous miss nightingale accordingly took a turkish house had boilers supplied in it by the engineer's office employed soldiers wives to do the washing and thus gave the sick and wounded the comfort of clean linen all this was paid for partly out of her private funds and partly by the times fund yet more important perhaps to the comfort and recovery of the sick were miss nightingale's extra diet kitchens when she came to the barrack hospital she found that all the cooking was done in thirteen large coppers situated at one end of the vast building the patients beds extended over a space of from three to four miles including of course both wards and corridors it took three or four hours to serve the ordinary dinners and there were no facilities whatever for preparing delicacies between times within ten days of her arrival miss nightingale had remedied this defect she opened two extra diet kitchens in different parts of the building and had three supplementary boilers fixed on one of the staircases for the preparation of arrowroot and the like 
As explained more fully below, nothing was supplied except in accordance with medical directions, and she met the doctor's requisitions out of her private stores only when the government stores failed. It is obvious, she explained, that Miss Nightingale would have shielded herself from heavy responsibility by adhering and by obtaining the adherence of the medical officers to the strict precedence of military hospital regulations, according to which the materials for the extra diets would have been sent into her by the purveyor without requisition in the same manner as is practiced in the case of the ordinary diets, but she felt that in doing so she would most frequently be defeating the object she was sent to carry out, for in the majority of cases the purveyor had either no supply or a supply of a very indifferent quality of the articles required. It is safe to say that many lives were saved by the application by Miss Nightingale of the good housewife's care to the kitchen of the hospitals. The woman's eye was not above distinguishing between bone and gristle and meat in the men's dinner, and she wanted to have the meat issued from the stores boned so that one patient should not get all bone, another all gristle, and another all meat. But on this point she was beaten. The inspector general informed her that it would require a new regulation of the service to bone the meat. The notes of exclamation are hers. In the culinary department, an invaluable volunteer arrived in 1855 in the person of Alexis Soyer, once famous as the chef of the Reform Club, and still alive as Monsieur Mirabellan in Thackeray's Pendennis. Mr. Soyer rearranged and partly superseded Miss Nightingale's kitchens at Scutari. We shall meet with him and his good work again when we accompany her to the Crimea. Miss Nightingale was not long at Scutari without being touched by the pitiable condition of the women camp followers, separated often from their regiments and in a very forlorn state. Miss Nightingale deputed the care of them in large measure to Mrs. Bracebridge, who, with her husband, collected and administered a separate fund for giving assistance to the wives, women, and children of soldiers at Scutari. A lying-in hospital was organized, and Miss Nightingale found employment for many of the women, both in washing, as aforesaid, and in making up old linen into various hospital requisites. Here, too, helpful volunteers presently arrived. The Reverend Dr. and Lady Alicia Blackwood were moved after the Battle of Inkerman to go out to Scutari and see if they could be of use. Dr. Blackwood asked and obtained an appointment as a military chaplain, and on their arrival, Lady Alicia went straight to Miss Nightingale and asked what she could do to help. The reply she gave me, wrote Lady Alicia, or rather the question she put me in reply after a few seconds of silence with a peculiar expression of countenance, made an indelible impression. Do you mean what you say? Yes, certainly. Why do you ask me? because I have had several such applications before, and when I have suggested work, I found it could not be done, or some excuse was made. It was not exactly the sort of thing intended. It required special suitability, etc. Well, I replied, I am in earnest. We came out here with no other wish than to help where we could. Very well, then. You really can help me, if you will. In this barrack are now located some two hundred poor women, in the most abject misery. 
a great number have been sent down from varna they are in rags and covered with vermin my heart bleeds for them but my work is with the soldiers not with their wives now will you undertake to look after them if you will take them as your charge i will send an orderly who will show you their haunts lady alicia went and with her husband was of great assistance miss nightingale was mindful also of the families of her nurses some of them were wives and widows who had left children at home many things turn up wrote lady verney to a friend for us to do for florence as in looking after the children of her nurses and mrs nightingale wrote similarly april eighteen fifty five flo has been writing incessantly lately about her nurse's families for whom the best seem getting very anxious and she scarcely mentions anything else we have seen and heard much in visiting them which is a great pleasure to us before the roebuck committee dr andrew smith the head of the army medical department in london was asked what do you think was the result of miss nightingale's mission i dare say he answered apparently with some reluctance it was very advantageous and then pulling himself together like a man and seeking to be just he added there is no doubt about it because females are able to discover many deficiencies that a man would not think of and they will look at things that a man will have no idea of looking to a very true statement and perhaps as much as could reasonably be expected from an official on the defensive but i think we shall find in the next chapter that some of the things which miss nightingale saw and did were not unworthy of the more comprehensive sweep claimed by dr smith for the male faculty of vision end of the expert's touch continued